perfect. Leviticus chapter 26 tonight, guys. Um, man, if you've been tracking with us, I, I looked at my my notes and my computer, and I think I think we've done like 23, at least 23, 24 lessons in Leviticus. It's taken a few months, and we're unless something unforeseen happens, we should be finishing up um, the uh, the book next week. So that's exciting. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we're so grateful for your word, so amazed at who you are. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the privilege of being able to gather, take in the word of God. And God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. I think about on the road to Emmaus when it says you opened up their understanding, you, you, you showed them all the scriptures, how it pointed to you. And would you do that for us tonight? We need you, Lord, to teach us and help us. So we give you tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So chapter 26, and as we come to chapter 26, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if you read ahead or not, but chapter 26, um, and there's only 27 chapters, and Moses is handing down the, the law there at Mount Sinai. But in chapter 26, um, it's kind of this, I, I kind of look at it as, a, as like a passionate interruption. What I mean by that is like as, he, as you read the chapter, it doesn't read like the rest of the chapters. It's, it's very Deuteronomy-ish. And what it is, it's a, it's a sermon really. It's like he just kind of stops in between what he's saying and Moses busts out this little mini sermon that has to do with, with obeying what God has been saying and what he's going to continue to say. And, it's, and I don't mean to read too much in, of my opinion into it, but that's just the, the vibe I get when I read it. It's almost like he just had to stop mid-flow and just give this passionate exhortation uh, to obedience. And so that's really what chapter 6 is about. It's a sermon that it deals with obedience to what God says. I'm a, you guys know me, and I'm, I'm an outliner, so if this helps you, I'll give you the outline. It's, there's three very distinct movements in the chapter, so here's for your notes. Number one, number one would be this, blessings for obedience, verses one through 13, discipline for disobedience, verses 14 through 39, gets the bulk of the chapter, and then mercy for repentance, Guys, we could probably just wrap it up right. That's the sermon right there. There's blessings for obedience. There's discipline for disobedience, but there's always mercy for true repentance. Amen? Please, amen. Kind of amen. Half-hearted amen. All right, let's get into this. Chapter 26, and um, we're just going to jump right in. The first 13 verses, this is the first section of the sermon dealing with um, obedience. Oh, one of the things I forgot to mention before I, before I jump in. Um, if you had to pick out a key word in this whole chapter, it would be the little word if. I-F, if. 32 times the word if is injected into this chapter. There's an old saying, I don't know where I heard it, but it's, um, it's always stuck with me. Big doors swing on little hinges. And the word if is a little tiny word that swings big doors. And what I mean by that is that God is basically going to be saying, if you do this, you can expect this. But if you do this, 
you can expect this. And so that's kind of, it's very straightforward, but that's kind of the gist of it. So let's look at this first section dealing with um, obedience for, or excuse me, blessing connected to um, obedience. Verses one and two says, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in, in your land to bow down to it. I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. A couple of things I want to just point out. Um, verses 1 and 2 are kind of different than the rest of the chapter. In verses 1 and 2, he actually starts by reminding them of two of the Ten Commandments. Number 2 and number 4. Don't erect idols and don't forget to honor my Sabbaths. Now, that's interesting, and there's probably other insights to this, but the one thing I want to pull out of it is that before he gets into all the stuff that they're to obey, he touches on two things that when you look at the history of Israel, they miserably failed in. (laughs) They miserably failed in the arena of idols, and they miserably failed in the arena of keeping the Sabbaths, especially the sabbatical year that we talked about uh, last year or last week. Not seems like last year, maybe, but last week. Um, one of the things also in verse 2, it says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I, I had this underlined. He says, I am the Lord. I want to pause just for a second. We're going to be talking about obedience to God. And right there in that phrase is the greatest reason why we should obey God. Why? Because he's the Lord. Amen? The word there, Lord, is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and it's, it's basically, whenever you see that capitalized, it's a reference to his name, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am that I am, the eternal one, the ever and all and always existing one. And God is basically saying, obey me for who I am. And I think that that's always a good thing to remember, that we don't obey on, on because we feel like it or we agree or this. There has to be that that base of understanding that God is God and we are not. And that's actually the whole rub of humanity, isn't it? Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? When God said, you can eat of all the fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the idea was is that Satan came, tempted Eve, and basically said, oh, the reason God is, is, is saying don't do that is because he knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. And in essence, what he was saying is you can be your own God, and you don't have to submit to God. And guys, that's always been the heart of the issue. Who's going to be God in my life, you or God, me or God? And so he says, obey me because I'm the Lord. Now let's go ahead and get into verses uh, 3 through 13. What are the blessings? Well, look at verses 3 through 13. He says, now if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, now I just want to pause there. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, there's the if, and then I also want to point out the word walk. Walk is important. Because when you talk about walking, that's metaphorical for like your manner of life. When you're walking, you're heading in a certain direction. You're continuing in a certain direction. And he says, if the direction of your life is a a submitted and obedient heart to me, oh man, these blessings are going to follow. Later, he's going to say, if you walk in disobedience, 
In other words, the route you take, the steps you're going in are contrary to what God is saying. The reason I just wanted to point that out is because we're not necessarily talking about individual little failures or individual little trip-ups or whatever. We're talking about a lifestyle of obedience, a lifestyle of disobedience. Does that make sense? And so this lifestyle of obedience to God, look what he says. I'll give you rain in their season, and the land shall yield its increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest. Your grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing. And you shall sow, or excuse me, you shall eat your bread to be full and dwell in your land securely. I will give you peace in the land. You shall lie down, and no one shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from your land. And the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies. They shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall chase 10,000. And your enemies shall fall before and by your sword. I will turn to you. I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat of the old store long kept. And you shall clear out the old and make way for the new. I will make my, listen, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and you, and I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Now, there's a lot in that and, and again, my heart isn't to, to get into every nook and cranny but, but get the broad stroke application here. In essence, what he's saying is, if you walk in my ways, I'm going to bless you. There's just going to be blessings attached. And then he lists, and I, I would just sum up these, these blessings. There's fruitfulness, peace and security, dominance over their enemies, and most importantly, presence of God and intimacy with God. Now, I, wanna, I, I will unpack those a little bit more, but I want to just insert kind of a theological note. Um, it's very tempting when you're reading a, in the Old Testament um, these promises of blessing or promises of, um, you know, discipline or whatever, it's very easy to kind of automatically insert the church into those promises for obedience or those, pro those promises for disobedience. Does that make sense? And we need to be careful not to do that. It's important to remember context. There's an old saying, context is king. And here's the context. Look, listen to this. This is verse 46. This is not a small issue, so listen. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and Israel. This is what we need to keep in mind. These physical, material blessings and the wars and all this stuff, and then the negative things, the disciplines, those were specific to Israel under the old covenant of the law, which we are as the church not under. Amen? I like to point that out because there's a theology called replacement theology, and, and what happens is um, people will insert the church and say, well, this is how you can be healthy and wealthy and, and, and never be poor if you obey God, and that's a dangerous theology. Because sometimes you can think, well, I'm obeying God. God owes me all this money or physical blessing. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Or something wrong can happen in your life and you can just, just condemn yourself to death thinking, oh, gosh, there's some hidden sin because God is just. Listen, not every bad thing that happens in your life is some direct discipline from God. Sometimes just bad stuff happens, right? Does that make sense, yes or no? Having said that, 
We don't want to insert the church to replace Israel. We're reading this in context, what the intended meaning was. This was to Israel at that time under the law. But having said that, of course, there are spiritual principles and there are things for us to apply to our lives without making that wrong theological leap. I may have lost some of you there, but it's actually an important concept, so keep that in mind. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. A couple of things, just again. Um, you can go back and, and look at these in, in their fullness, but one of the blessings was if they walked in obedience, they would experience fruitfulness, the literal fruitfulness, like their trees, like their fields, like their bodies. They would have kids. There would be like a fruitfulness. And guys, there is a spiritual truth to that. When we walk in obedience to God, when we're walking in harmony with God, when we're walking in step with him, there is a fruitfulness to our lives. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and kindness. And not only that, multiplication. As you walk in obedience to God, there's people around you that want to know the God that you know. So there's a, there's a multiplication that happens and a fruitfulness in every way. I'm just going to touch on these. If you want to take and run with them, you can. But I thought that was interesting. Another one was peace and security. Walking with God, there was, they, they would have peace from their enemies. It says they would lay their head down and not worry about a thing, not like they're going to get attacked in the middle of the night because they're walking in obedience. Well, what God did for them physically, materially, I think God does with us. When we're walking with God in obedience, there is a peace. Amen? How many of you guys experience that peace in your heart when you're just like, you don't have to look over your shoulder, you're not in rebellion to God, you just you can lay your head down at night and be like, man, we're okay, things are good. And there's a security, like I'm not worried that God's gonna bail on me or that I've, I've somehow stepped out of the lines. There's just that peace and that joy and that security. I also noticed that there was dominance over their enemies. When they were walking in harmony and obedience with God, they would, didn't you love the, the, uh, the way it, it said it? Like five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase like a thousand of those guys. It, it just totally outnumbered them. If you read Kings and Chronicles and those times when they were walking with God in those short little stints where they actually walked with God, man, that God did amazing things on their behalf. Listen, when you and I are walking in obedience to God, we have victory over the enemy in our lives. Amen? Those besetting sins, those things that want to come at us, the spiritual attacks. Man, when we're walking in obedience to God, in harmony with God, we recognize those things for what they are. We stand on the truth of the word, and we can experience real victory. But guess what? If you walk in disobedience, you open yourself up to all kinds of unnecessary battles and problems from the enemy and from your flesh and just repercussions of sin. So, I mean, again, you can chase all these down as you feel free. But listen, this is the greatest one, and don't miss this. This is the cherry on top right here. Verse 12, God says, or verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you. Verse 12, I will walk among you. Guys, listen to me. Do you know what the greatest blessing for Israel was when they would just walk in obedience and harmony? The presence of God in their life. Intimacy with God in their life. You know, as I'm getting older, there's something that I fear more and more. And it's to grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It means to make him sad. 
You see, as a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells me and he indwells you if you're a believer in Jesus. It means anything we go and do, everything we put our hand to, everywhere we go, let our minds wander, everything we take in in books or on videos or on screens, the Lord's with us. And when I compromise, when I go places I shouldn't and touch things I shouldn't and look at things I shouldn't or say things I shouldn't or harbor bitterness or whatever it is, unforgiveness, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Not, not in a way where it's like, oh, he's so fragile and I think I just made him really sad. That's not what we're talking about. It's kind of the idea of a parent watching their kid make bad decisions that you know is going to lead to destruction. When you see your kids hanging out with people that are smoking pot and doing stuff and getting in trouble and stealing and, and, and they're just being rebellious and it breaks your heart because you know a few things. It's not going to go well for you. And that's leading you and it's, and it's hurting our relationship. And it's kind of like that. When I sin, when I fall, when I walk into disobedience, it's not that God stops being my father, but I grieve him. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Like, I want that connection. I want that intimacy. I don't want to do stuff that gets in the way of my relationship with him. Amen? So as we get into this next section, which is, takes up the bulk of it, and we're not going to go real long on it, I promise. Um, I kind of promise. Um, but basically, the next section is that there would be discipline for disobedience. So all of the blessings of fruitfulness, peace, security, dominance over your enemy, intimacy with God, guess what happens when you walk in disobedience? The opposite of those things. And the opposite of those things happen. So just kind of know that. But as we get into this, let's check this out. A couple of things um, as we get into this next section. Um, probably the, the key word here, and I'll just kind of say it at the front end so we can blitz through this. Um, the key word here is the word... Um, discipline. If you're, le- if you're reading an old King James Version Bible, the word will probably be punishment. But I don't think that's the best translation. I think the newer translations kind of nail it when they, when they call it discipline. But let me give you, uh, this is the, the Hebrew definition for the word discipline. It means to chasten, to punish, but listen, to punish in order to improve a behavior implying the training of a person. Did you guys catch that? It's a, it is a punishment, but it's, it's not just punishment for punishment's sake. It's punishment to improve a behavior with the implication of trying to train that person in the way that they're to go. And guys, that's what God's doing with us. That's what he wanted to do with his people. He loves us. We're his children. So guess what? He's training us. Keep a finger here. If you want to turn real quick, remember these words or at least write down this passage. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen, verse 5. Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the, di- the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when you're corrected by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he hates. No, he disciplines the one he what? He loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which of you has which, which if all of you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Um, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but the discipline, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the, at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, there it is, trained by it. Thanks for enduring that, but I think it's an important passage. Basically, God disciplines his kids. By virtue of the fact that he's going to discipline them, shows that he loves them. And, and, and there's a word there for us, guys, because God also disciplines us. It may not look like it's going to look in Leviticus 26, but he will bring discipline into our lives. And the very fact that he does discipline us proves that we're actually his kids. Because guess what? You can't discipline other people's kids. <laughs> you only get to discipline your kids. As much as you may want to discipline other people's kids at times, <laughs> you don't spank other people's kids, you spank your kids, or you put your kids in timeout, or you, you, you discipline your kids, not because you hate them, but because you love them. You know, there's a principle in parenting, and, and we've raised kids, but we're also raising a, a child again, and um, there's this principle called the 10-year principle, and, and basically what it is is this. You look at the behavior, and you just fast forward 10 years in your mind. Okay, that's really cute at five. But at 15, how cute is telling mommy no? Right? And so you nip things in the bud and you train and you, and you stay on top of his parents because we love our kids and we're training them to do it right. Does that make sense? So that's what God's going to do. He's going to train them. He's going to discipline them. And so this section of the chapter is warning them um, Unfortunately, it's the longest section of the chapter, which is a bummer. And also, unfortunately, it's actually very prophetic as to what happened in their history. Let's go through it pretty quickly. Uh, Verse 14. If you will not listen to me, if you will not uh, do my commandments, if you spurn my statutes and your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. You That that should make your ears perk up. I'm going to do this to you. You know, some parents, when they say stuff, it doesn't, you know, uh, whatever, we'll see. When God says that, he means it. Notice he doesn't say one, two, no. (laughs) He says, I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, fever. Uh, It will consume the eyes and make the heart ache. You will sow your seed in vain. Your enemies are going to eat it. That took place in their history. Remember the story of Gideon and the Midianites? They would sow their fields, and as soon as they were ripe, Here will come the Midianites and just take all their food and leave. Exactly what God said would happen. I will set my face against you. You will be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you shall flee even though no one's pursuing you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again. Sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. In other words, no rain, and the dirt will be hard. And your strength shall be spent in vain. Your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not bear their fruit. So God was basically saying, this is level one. If you walk in disobedience with me again to Israel, there's not going to be fruitfulness. The, the ground's going to be like, like iron, bronze. There's no rain in the heavens. But the verse that really got me as I read through that was verse 19. He said, I will break the pride of your power. And I underlined that because, again, that's the heart of the issue. This is why we walk in disobedience to God. Listen to me. Because we want to do what we want to do. 
The bottom line is, is that we basically say, God, I don't really want to live life on your terms. I want to be my own person. Um, I want to do my, make my own decisions. I know what's best for me. You know, I referenced the, the Garden of Eden earlier. Do you know what the lie from Satan was? Oh, you, he said you couldn't eat that. You won't die. You, you know, you, your eyes will be open. But the lie, I mean, really at the base of it was this. God's withholding from you. He just, he's just, he's withholding from you. And he knows if you eat that, you're going to really experience something. He's just, he's, guys, that's still the lie. The lie is that if you obey God, it's this boring, dull, stupid, lame life. When actually it's quite the opposite. The lie is if you just live and do whatever you want with no boundaries and no consequence, just do whatever, that that's real freedom. But in reality, that is bondage. That's bondage. God's not withholding on us. God is wanting the best for us. Oh, I think it must break God's heart that we think he's just some ogre up there. He is like a dad. He, he made that comparison, not me, not pastors. The Bible makes that comparison. He calls us his children. Dads love their children. Dads want to spoil their children. Dad, dads want to see their kids do well. They're, they're, they're in their corner. They're cheering them on. They want the best for them. And God says, I want the best for you so badly. I, I'm so concerned about you doing well that I, I'll even break your pride if I have to. My pastor, John Corson, used to always say, God is more concerned about our eternal character than he is our present comfort. So he'll allow us to go through temporary hard things if it means It'll bring us around to deep, real, true, good character. Amen? Well, let's move on. Um, verse 21. He says, Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, get the, you kind of get the feel of it, right? I want you to listen. You won't listen. He says, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts among you, and you shall they shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that the road shall be deserted. He literally is like, I'll let out the wild beasts. Note this phrase as you go forward in this chapter. He'll say it over and over again. If you still walk contrary to me, what does he say? I will continue. I will continue. I will do it sevenfold. The number seven is important in the Bible. It's the number of completion or wholeness. What God is saying is, I will keep at this until what needs to happen is completed. That's what he's saying. How many guys are glad? Those of you that maybe have some life under your belt, how many of you guys are glad that when you, maybe at a time in your life when you started to walk away from God, he brought his discipline and he didn't give up on you, and he kept after you, and he kept after you, and he kept after you. It's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. How it must break his heart to ramp up the intensity of the, of the disciplines. How it must, must have broken his heart for hundreds of years with the nation of Israel. He endured, and he waited, and he brought all this stuff, hoping they would come back. Verse 23, for by his discipline you are not turned to me and walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sin. I will bring a sword upon you and you shall execute vengeance for covenant. Uh, and if you gather within your cities, I will spend, or excuse me, send pestilence among you. 
You shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. You'll break your supply of bread. Uh, Ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. In other words, you're going to have famine. There's not going to be enough to go around. Not because you can't grow, but because the enemies are taking over. Verse 27. But if in spite of this you shall not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the, listen to this, you're going to eat the flesh of your sons. You shall eat the flesh of your daughters. You might want to jot down 2 Kings chapter 6 because that's exactly what happened in one of the eras of their history. And guys, that wasn't God doing that to them. It was the consequence of their sin. Where They had to actually, at one point, they turned to cannibalism to survive. Heavy. He goes on, um, verse 30, and I will destroy your high places. I'll cut down your incense altars. I will cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you, and I will lay your cities waste. I will make your sanctuary desolate. I will not smell your pleasing aromas. That means they're still going to be going to church. Their pleasing aroma is a, is a reference to their offerings. That means through all this time of disobedience, it's as if he's saying, and you're still going to be going through the motions of religion. Isn't that exactly what happened with Israel? They were chasing after every idol under the sun and, for lack of a better way of saying it, but going to church on Sunday. They were going to the temple on Saturday, but the point is, is that there was this form of religiosity, but their hearts were far from God. That's what Isaiah rung them up for later on. He says, I'll scatter you among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you, and you shall, uh, and the land shall be desolate, and your city shall be waste. Hang in there. Look at verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are with your enemy in their land. Does that sound familiar? Anybody here last week? The year of, of, of the sabbatical year, they worked six years. They were to let the, the land rest on the seventh. And we talked about in their history, they never did it. And so God prophesied through Jeremiah, hey, you owe me 70 Sabbaths. So he sent Nebuchadnezzar, scooped them up out of the land for the most part, took them to Babylon, and that's where he let the land rest. The point I'm trying to make, this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before that went down. And it's kind of sad that God knows that's what's going to happen. He says, this is what I'll do. Take my word for it. And as long as it lies desolate, it shall uh, have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left... I will send my faintness into their hearts and, their, and uh, in the land of their enemies. The sound of a driving leaf shall put them to flight. That's funny. They shall flee as one flees from the sword. They shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another they, uh, if, if to escape from a sword and though none pursues. And you will have no power to stand before your enemies and you shall perish among the nations and the land for your enemies shall eat you up. And those who are left shall rot away um, in your enemy's land because of their iniquity and also because of the iniquity of their fathers. They shall rot away like them. This is fun reading, isn't it? <laughs> it's heavy, man. I mean, you get the point. I mean, we could take the time to go through how each one of these things actually did prophetically come to pass in their history. But God, get the heart of it. God is saying, if you walk in disobedience, I'm, I'm gonna punish you. I'm gonna discipline you. And let me just say this quickly in way of application maybe for that section. Like a good father, God does not reward disobedience. 
He's not being mean. We've already established that. He's, it's doing this out of love. But I want to say this because it's amazing how um, deceitful sin is. And it's amazing, like, when you're in the thick of it, how you can just trick yourself into thinking one way. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not super old. I've been a pastor for about 20 years or so. I have a little bit of experience. And I know it from my own heart, my own failures. But, you know, I've counseled a lot of people that tell me, well, I just feel like God's leading me to divorce my wife even though I have no biblical grounds. You cannot say you love God and you're following God and willingly and knowingly walk in disobedience. It's just, there's just, it just shows you that there is something wrong with your relationship with God. And over the years, I've talked to situations like that. And it may not be that specific one, but that's kind of the idea. Well, I, you know, I know the Bible says this. And, and really what we're saying is, but I'm a special case. <laughs> Let me just say this. You're not that special. I know your mom said you were, and like everybody got a trophy in your little league team, and you're not the exception to the rule. God is no respecter of persons. Nobody gets, you cannot claim you love God and walk in knowing disobedience to him and think that everything's okay. Can I remind you, we're not talking about struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin. None of us are perfect. You know, none of us get it right all the time, but I'm talking about knowing rebellion you know what the Bible says. You know what you're doing isn't contrary to that, but you're saying, I don't care. Well, then, okay, but you need to understand something. Something is desperately wrong with your relationship with God because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. The way that we show our love for God is we keep his commandments. John, 1 John 5 says, but his commandments are not burdensome. And may I remind you in the New Testament, the, the commandments have been narrowed down to this, love. Love your Father, in heaven and love people. And in so doing, you fulfill the law of God. And then there are black and white things. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, those things are, very, there's some very clear things in the Bible. And if we rebel and just do our own thing in those things, okay, but the, if you're saying you still love God, there's something wrong. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying there's a problem, amen? And there might be some discipline coming your way. Don't mistake God's patience for condoning your lifestyle. Sometimes he's just really patient. Well, I did it, and lightning didn't come down from heaven. I guess, he's, I guess God's cool with it in my case. There's a biblical law, just like there's physical laws, like gravity. There's a, there's a spiritual law. It's called sowing and reaping. And if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, life and peace. And it's a pretty reliable crop. So we've covered the first two sections, and I... If you were sleepy or you didn't get or kind of in and out on the first two, I understand why. Um, my poor wife has to hear me talk all the time. Um, but that's just like kind of laborious stuff. But we have to look at this last section. Look at verses 40 through 46. But, but, to quote my pastor in Ventura that I had for years, whose name I will not say, it's an important word, but... It changes everything, and that's why one time he said in a sermon, that's why I have a big, round circle around my butt. <laughs> you got to circle the butt. 
Because little or big doors swing on little hinges and butt is another little hinge. There's a swing happening here. We just went through a laborious, tough, hard section. I'll do this to you. I'll do this to you. I'll do this to you. This is what you can expect. And disobedience and discipline. Da, 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 da. But, oh, I love that God includes buts. If they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery which they've committed against me in walking contrary to me so that I have walked contrary to them and brought them to the land of their enemies. If they in their uncircumcised heart are, is humbled and make amends for their iniquity, I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with, with Isaac. I will remember my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land but the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it is desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity, but they spurn my rules and their soul aboard my statutes. Yet for all that, when they're in their land of the enemies, I will not spurn them. I will not abhor them. I will not destroy them utterly and break their covenant with them. I am the Lord their God, but I will for their sake remember the covenant of their forefathers whom I brought out of the land the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Amen. Here's, in, in essence, here's what God is saying. If they do all these things and if they end up in Babylon and the walls of the city are destroyed and the temple is decimated and the land is ravished and the enemies are plundering them and they have all this death and destruction and all this and they're pining away in, in, in the land of Babylon. But, 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 if they're, when they're there, they humble themselves. Do you catch some key words there? Confess, humble, make amends, which is kind of like another way of just saying repent change directions? What was God saying? Even though they have lived all in all that disobedience, if they confess their sin, if they come to me humbly, if they repent, I'll remember them. Amen? I, I like that. I actually picked out three words that, that are interesting. The word humility. Do you know that God can, will always work with humility? Listen to this. James 4 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you come up, chest up to God, and you're prideful, and you're going to dig your heels in and do your thing, he'll oppose you. But anytime a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, humbles themselves before God and just says, you're right, and I'm the one who's wrong, and I humble myself, God will always work with that. He'll always give grace to humility. Amen? Secondly, it says um, to confess. I think confession is such a huge part of keeping the account right with God. We, we always quote 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's justified in forgiving us and purifying us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, homo legeo, I always like to say the Greek word because it's colorful. It's a compound word, homo legeo. Homo meaning the same, legeo meaning to speak. If we speak the same thing to God. In other words, tell God what he already knows. God, I did this, it was a lie, and I was wrong. I know, but you confessed it. How many of you guys love it in those rare, crazy moments when your kids tell you the truth? 
It's just an amazing thing. Like, you did. Yes, you did steal the cookie from the cookie jar. But you told me the truth. Here's three cookies. I mean, there's just something in you. You're like, I can't believe this is wonderful. A confession of guilt. And, and when we come to the Father, it's not that he just sweeps it under the rug. You see, Jesus died for the sin that we're acknowledging that's in our lives. And he says, on that basis, I can forgive you and make things right between us. Amen? And the repentance, which means to change directions. And I just want to say this, and then I have two more things that we're done. Repent means to turn. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. If you're walking, and this whole thing has been about walking in disobedience or walking in obedience. And if you're walking in disobedience, but you humble yourself and you confess and you change your mind and you begin to walk this way, that's repentance. Amen? The Bible warns, however, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, It says, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. There's a big difference in saying, oh, I'm so sorry, when really you're just sorry you got caught, and you're sorry about the consequences. But when you're sorry because you've sinned against God, and there's that godly sorrow in your heart that causes you to repent, what God says is you'll never regret that. You'll never regret that kind of true repentance. Amen? You know, as I was pondering this um, chapter as a whole, and we'll end on this, these two thoughts here, guys. Um, there's two, two things that blow me away. One is the wonder or the wonderful grace of God. Amen? Because once here we see in the Old Testament God's grace. You see, he was saying, I I know you've lived a life of disobedience. You've walked away. Because of you, everything's broken. The enemies have come in. You've incurred my wrath. All this stuff has happened. The wheels have fallen off. And you refused. And you dug your heels in. And it got drama. And it got gnarly. And it got messy. And yet he declares in a way, but you cannot go so far. And you cannot go so far away from me and sin in, in such a way that if you just humble yourself and repent, that I won't extend my grace to you. Amen? Isn't that an amazing thing? Guys, they were 900 miles away when you look at their, when you look at their history. They were 900 miles away reaping the consequences of their sin. And, and he said, but I won't forget you. And how many of you guys have experienced this? maybe even as a Christian, where you've turned your way and you started to rebel and you've walked away from God and you've experienced that no matter how far you go from him, really, when you turn and just confess and humble yourself, what do you you find? He's right there the whole time. There's no sin that can outsend the grace of God. There's no sin that can outsend the blood of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for the worst sinner there is if there is true humility and repentance to him. How gracious is our God. Can any of us just testify to the grace of God in our lives personally? Let's actually applaud God for his grace in our lives. (laughs) Secondly, not only the wondrous grace, but the watchful warning that this chapter is. And I use that word on purpose, the watchful warning. This chapter is actually a, a real, it was a real warning to them, wasn't it? I don't know how it was received. Maybe they're like, oh, God, don't waste your breath. We'll totally obey you. 
And God's don't, like, no, you need to hear this warning. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you do this, I'm going to do this. If you do this, I'm going to do this. It was a watchful warning. He, he, he was saying, watch what you're doing. Don't, you know, you didn't just automatically dive into idol worship. It was this little process, little by little, little by little, and the, the fences went down, and, and, and little concessions were made, and little things were happening. And then before they knew it, they were full on into idol worship. They were full on into debauchery. They were full on into what, excuse me, whatever it is. And so God is saying, be watchful because I'm warning you, this is what disobedience will bring about. It's a warning because, guys, yes, there was grace, and yes, there was forgiveness, but guess what? Yes, the walls were broken. Yes, the temple was destroyed. Yes, they were killed. Yes, they were dragged off into Babylon. And, guys, the consequences remained, and they couldn't be recovered. And, yes, there's the grace of God, and there's forgiveness. But don't ever forget that our sin still brings consequences that sometimes can't be undone. Will, will God give new beginnings and new mercies and fresh grace? Yes, because that's how awesome our God is. But make no mistake, there will be a wake of destruction behind you in broken lives and brokenness and heartache because of our own disobedience. Is there grace, forgiveness, mercy? Yes! But it's a warning, but be careful because there's still a lot of destruction that happens with sin. And here's what I think. I think tonight, or in any group maybe, there's probably those of us who need to hear of the wondrous grace. And then there's some of us maybe sitting here that maybe need to hear the watchful warning. Maybe there's some of you sitting in here tonight and you feel like, man, I've just been going down the wrong road and I just feel like I'm failing and, and I'm, I'm actually reaping some of the harvest of my of my disobedience and, and I just want to express to you the grace of God but if you confess if you humble yourself if you repent God wants to meet you right now the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ you don't have to dwell on yesterday's failures or even this afternoon's failures you can be free he's taken that yoke off of you all the shame and all the guilt was laid on Christ he paid for it he rose from the dead he doesn't want you to carry that around you can be free from that tonight amen and some of you need to hear that tonight that in spite of how, and some of us just live looking in the rearview mirror and just never get over it. Give God the glory and get over it. Receive his grace and walk in victory. And, and, and even if it's a failure today, just to say, Lord, I confess that disobedience. I want to walk and just experience the grace of God. There's some that maybe need to hear that tonight. But I do think there's maybe others that need to hear the watchful warning. Oh, you're not full on off the charts but can I ask you a question? Have concessions been made? Are compromises happening? Years and years and years ago, we were watching TV or something, a movie or something, and I was checking it out. My wife just kind of looked at me, not to put you on the spot, sorry. And she, I can't remember exactly the words she said, but something to the, to the, to the extent of like, I'm kind of ashamed of that, of you right now, because there was a time in your Christian life you wouldn't have watched that probably some PG-13 movie or something that there was a time I wouldn't watch any PG-13s or anything. 
but there was this compromising scene or whatever, and and she was, and, and it, it, you know, sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Regina, and <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit talking to me, saying, you know what? For me personally, I'm not saying what you can watch or what, but I knew for me there were certain things that I had said that's not going to be a part of my life. But slowly, slowly, I just kind of let him back in and I do this and it's no big deal and everybody else, da 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 da. Maybe, may, maybe there's things in your life where there was a time when you wouldn't have touched that, you wouldn't have gone there, you wouldn't have thought that, you, would, you wouldn't have hung, you know, you know what I mean? But now it's like, oh, I've, I've kind of desensitized myself to it. And, and maybe the Lord tonight is saying, because I love you, I want to warn you. Be careful. Be careful of the road you're on. Be care- Look honestly at the direction you're walking right now and ask yourself, where's this road going? And if in any way the Holy Spirit can, is convicting you and saying, this area here, this area here, would you tonight say, Lord, forgive me? And would you just receive his grace and just change direction? Because the principle is when you walk in harmony and obedience to God, the natural byproduct of that is a blessing in your life. And the natural byproduct of disobedience to God is destruction. (laughs) Amen? Wondrous grace, watchful warning. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads and we pray, we just want to quiet our hearts right now. And I would say to you guys tonight, in the, in the privacy of your own heart, if the Holy Spirit has touched something, and there's just, it, it may only take 10, 15 seconds to make it right with God, but maybe there's something that God put his finger on and, and you just want to confess that to him. Or maybe you, you just take the other angle where you just need to receive grace or, or whatever it might be, but just would you take a moment in the privacy of your own heart to just pray between you and God for a moment. We hear your word, Lord, loud and clear tonight. Blessing for obedience, discipline for disobedience, mercy for repentance, and we thank you and praise you. We can all testify at some level how you have... (laughs) saved us from our own demise. You've given us so much grace. And Lord, we just want to praise you for that. And Lord, we want to be a people who walk in obedience to you because we love you. And we love you because you first loved us, Lord. So keep our eyes on that. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.